Before we begin the podcast, a few words. This has taken us a while to put together because things have been changing rapidly and dramatically over the last few weeks. When we first started drafting the script, we were going to open by saying, of course, that we condemned the killing of George Floyd and by affirming our allyship with the BLM movement. And of course, both of those things remain the case. This conversation has rightly become a complex and nuanced one, and the events alongside it have been dramatic and often disturbing, from peaceful protests to debates about statues from Colson having got in the sea to being rescued from it, from Black Lives Matter protesters to anti-Black Lives Matter riots. And alongside that, conversations about the right way to express allegiance and support, the extent to which voices of different kinds should be heard or should indeed be quiet. This has been one of the most rapidly evolving sets of events we can remember. We didn't want to put this discussion of satire, lockdown, Dominic Cummings and so on out while there were other more urgent conversations that needed to take place and be heard. We do want to express that Smith and War believe and will always believe that black lives matter and that whilst it's difficult to acknowledge and admit this has often been a conversation centered around white voices and white voices discussing those white voices. We don't think there's anything wrong in being quiet for a while to reflect on that and to think about ways that our teaching and our research can grow and improve based on the discussions that have taken place in recent weeks. So we hope you can understand why this podcast has come out later than advertised and we're sure that lots of our listeners, like us, have been reflecting during that time on everything that's been going on. We're not going to be talking about satire as related to any of these recent events. Perhaps there actually does come a time when satire is inappropriate or maybe just impossible. Imagine the eye test. Ah, Mr. Cummings, can you see why everyone is so angry with you and thinks you should resign? You complete and utter fraud. And, and I think the answer is no. I think he failed the test. Is that what it says on the eye chart that he was looking at? I am a complete and utter fraud. He gave an hour and a half of utter twaddle. It's absolutely clear that he did break regulations. He found one tiny clause, which he said made an exception. But that that didn't cover the journey to Barnard Castle. It was nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Yeah, people were cross because they think he's taking us for idiots. The eye test thing is marvellous. The idea that you're not sure whether you can drive back to London. So in order to check your eyesight, you put your four-year-old in the back of a car and drive around to see if you knock over any pedestrians or smack into a bollard. And that way you know your eyes aren't there. His, his greatest irritation is, as he said at the beginning, the press are giving misinformation about my whereabouts. But that's his job. He got his wife to write pieces in The Spectator suggesting that he was in London, which he wasn't. So he's very, very cross. This man has become the centre of the story and I cannot understand why he hasn't resigned. Yes, that's what we think. But hang on, hang on a minute. Those aren't actually our words, are they? Oh, I think I think we've got confused. We have. We've got confused and we've mistaken our words for the words of Ian Hislop and Paul Merton in a recent episode of Have I Got News For You, which is uh, very clever of me because I didn't even watch it. So in that bit, were you Paul or were you Ian? Uh, I was Ian. Oh, what, so you took the famous one that made all the headlines. You got to be the Ian Hislop. Actually, no. It's a little bit more... I did something a little bit more clever than that which is that I also gave you some of Ian's lines as well because Paul Merton barely says anything so, so stop it being a carved up between us so that's how you can hide plagiarism thanks for doing that so yeah. you put you put the words of Ian Hislop into fictional Paul Merton and then into the words of me that was very good yeah say a bit more about that episode why don't you that particular episode was interesting because it was in the wake of what I imagine historians will forever refer to as Cumgate mm. brought about by the bad behaviour of our Prime Minister BJ um, and obviously Cumgate is 
been getting a huge amount of media attention and you can sort of get a sense of what it's been like from that opening dialogue but the episode of Have I Got News For You barely had any jokes in it they barely did the quiz and I've seen a few episodes like this so particularly in the last six years where they don't really play the game so the Brexit referendum was another one and the presenter was Martin Clunes this episode and he tried gently to nudge them towards the game but no one was really interested in, in doing the game but like I said there, was, there wasn't really any jokes and it, most of the episode was Ian Hislop voicing his frustration voicing the frustration of the nation at the Prime Minister's unwavering support for Dominic Cummings who has clearly broken the rules of lockdown yes the rules of lockdown that he helped to write and interesting it seems like the media response to that episode was quite positive lots of headlines like viewers praise Ian Hislop for absolutely ripping into Dominic Cummings in The Independent Hislop gives virtuoso roasting of Dominic Cummings in HuffPost Ian Hislop telling Dominic Cummings to resign on Have I Got News For You is hilarious in The Express that's telling in some quite interesting ways because on another BBC show broadcast that same week another TV personality offered a damning summary of the situation and that was met with quite a different media reception and that was of course do you want to guess what that was on? Lock the week No it was on Newsnight it was on Newsnight where Emily Maitlis opened a feature on the coming scandal with this monologue which I'll I'll read out loud if that's alright so here's what Emily Maitlis said Dominic Cummings broke the rules the country can see that and it shocked the government cannot the longer the ministers and the Prime Minister tell us he worked within them the angrier the response to this scandal is likely to be he was the man remember who always got the public mood and tagged the lazy label of elite on those who disagreed he should understand that public mood now one of fury contempt and anguish he made those who struggle to keep the rules feel like fools and has allowed many more to assume that they can now flout them that's good i mean there's a lot of similarities to ian hislop's roast in that monologue yeah it's saying the same things isn't it it's exactly the same it's that there are rules he made the rules he's broken the rules frustrating and shocking that that the government the prime minister doesn't seem to acknowledge this has happened yeah and i think even the thing that's annoyed a lot of people as well is the party line was clearly well he was doing what any responsible father would do he was trying to protect his family he was trying to look after his son and so then the inference being that people who struggled not to do the things that all their human instincts told them to do in terms of looking after people now it turns out they weren't being very good parents rather than being very good observers of social distancing they were being yeah. rubbish protectors and so I think that's what Maitlis means partly when she says he made those who struggle to keep the rules feel like fools but yeah it didn't didn't go the same way I'll remember Emily Maitlis isn't talking on a satirical quiz show she's talking on Newsnight but it was well I mean there was a lot of praise for it lots of people really enjoyed that introduction but it was also heavily criticised wasn't it it also sparked 20,000 complaints a formal apology from the BBC who said that they believed Maitlis had overstepped the line and a whole renewed debate over the broadcasting company's guidelines on impartiality so yeah it went went quite differently for her didn't it it's a fascinating so not with my satirical hat on but with my newspaper historian hat on if you look at emily makeless's monologue like which part breached the impartiality guidelines well if i were if i were marking it i'd say dominic cummings broke the rules true that that's a fair statement to say the problem is where she says things like what the public mood is now that the people feel like fools. And I might say, you need some backup for that, Emily Maitlis. I think she's probably right, but that's she's where you'd get her, isn't it? Yeah, she'd probably been reading Twitter or something because there was a lot, there was an outpouring of fury and content, wasn't there? But yeah, so that's that becomes her interpretation of events, an impartial account of events, I suppose. But yeah, I did think that was really interesting. Of course, the BBC have got a new controller general now, so it'd be interesting. He comes from a more corporate background, so it'd be interesting to see where that debate goes from now. But yeah, so, so you've already mentioned there, there's an issue of genre, isn't there? 
the DNS office talking on a, on a comedy panel show and she's talking on Newsnight. But do you think there are any other reasons why the backlash was different? Well, the way that you said genre makes me think you were going to do a sort of rhetorical thing where it's like, is it genre or is it gender? Is that yeah. where you were going with that? That's what I wrote in the script. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have to say, I think it's mostly about genre, isn't it? What's interesting yeah. is it's a satirical news show, but not much of what Ian Hislop was saying was satire, was it? It was just anger. Like Jonathan Pye, really, isn't it? When he just literally says what's happening and he's really angry about it. But he says it in ways with rhetorical flourishes that make it more than just a rant. So I, th- I think it is mostly genre. But an interesting contrast in terms of gender is this is a little bit longer ago from early in May. Do you remember when the government changed the rules from stay at home to stay alert? I do. And there was, it's, I think it's fair to say there was a fair bit of confusion about what staying alert actually meant. And do you remember that Philip Schofield had a a rant about that on This Morning at the time? I was unaware of this. No. Well, I don't watch This Morning either, but I saw lots of clips of this where Philip Schofield was angry about the lack of clarity around the message to stay alert. And I encountered this through lots of people sharing it on Twitter and saying it was so cool when Philip Schofield just absolutely lost it on This Morning and addressed Boris Johnson rhetorically, although Boris Johnson wasn't on the show. It wasn't like that time when Boris Johnson was on the show and they took a selfie with him during the election campaign so it wasn't that time it was a different time so I wanted to talk about that perhaps draw some productive comparisons and I'm going to do that by just having a little look at an article in the Daily Express after Philip Schofield's rant the article is titled Philip Schofield infuriates this morning viewers with Boris rant remember your audience Philip Schofield infuriated this morning viewers after he ranted about the latest coronavirus lockdown guidelines which were unveiled by Boris Johnson yesterday. So this is some of what Philip Schofield said. He said, We've got to start this morning in a state of utter confusion after last night's address to the nation by Boris Johnson. His speech created more questions than answers. Philip stated. I think we're just about holding on. We've all done so well. We've all done exactly as we've been told. Holly Willoughby whined. Oh my God. That's the Daily Express. That's not me. That's the Daily Express. We were doing so well to keep our spirits up, to keep going. But when there is this level of confusion, it knocks you back. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to go to the the end bit here. I mean, this is Philip Schofield. You literally couldn't write this. If this was in a farce on the television, I would go, that's a bit far-fetched. No government would arse it up that much it is utterly astonishing and you know we've been really level on here and really sensible but now this just tips us over the edge today until somebody maybe would come on the show and explain what it is exactly you want us to do what we are allowed to do philip ranted directly to those watching at home i think he was ranting it directly at the government actually he didn't want people at home to come on the show are you genuinely saying we can only meet one parent can you meet one parent in the morning and another in the afternoon the express describes this in the following way he then started to be Dantic, adding, if you go around to their house, do we go around to their house or does it have to be outside? Does the mother come out of the house and stand in the garden and does the father go back in the house? Maybe your father is in the back garden while you meet your mother in the front garden. What do you mean? Holly whined, we don't understand. Now, (laughs) this, I think... This is interesting because I'm annoyed that the Express have... I mean, there there is a limited vocabulary, isn't it? So they can... The ranting, with the one exception of being pedantic, ranting is the only verb they have for what Philip was doing. But Holly, who only gets to do two things, both of them are described as whining. You would think even just for the sake of mixing it up, you wouldn't have Holly whined twice in one article. When I watched it, what I was struck by was the fact that Holly Willoughby is clearly trying to speak 
on at least two occasions and trying to kind of take it back to the script and to go where the show is supposed to go. And Philip Schofield just talks over her repeatedly. Again, I don't disagree with anything that he's saying, but whilst The Express and a couple of other news outlets said he shouldn't have done that rant, he should Well, they, they described it as a sweary rant, I think, because he says arse. Again, Philip Schofield isn't satire. How, how do you think that compares with Emily Maitlis? But yeah, I mean, what that, that whole episode of hearing you read that reminded me of was, do you remember when in the early days of the podcast we were interviewed for a magazine and they sent, someone was sent, like a third party was sent to interview us on behalf of the magazine for about an hour and we both spoke equally and then when the first draft came back, it was Adam stated this. And Joe agreed. Joe added. Yeah, Joe added. <laughs> they reminded me of that. Well, at least they didn't say that I whined. That's true. And also what that reminds me of is a couple of days, so you had the Emily Maitlis monologue, then Ian Hislop having his rant, Philip Schofield having his rant, and then Piers Morgan had a go as well. And he went, he was much more visceral in his account. Definitely, well, he doesn't have to be impartial, does he? He's an ITV, but definitely no, no chance of that. But if you watch the clip on YouTube, he's constantly speaking over his co-host, who's trying to interject, yeah. just talking over it. So yeah, it's how does it compare to the Maitlis piece? Well, hers is quite succinct and insightful. I guess there's an issue, uh, insightful as in gives insights, not insightful as in... Insights are right. Yeah, it's concise. I suppose it's an issue of genre as well. But Philip Schofield, having read this, seems to be tying himself up in knots and he's going out of his way to make it seem more confusing. Which is um, a, a device in itself, isn't it? So did this get 20,000 complaints? I mean, what was the response to this? Uh, it did get complaints, yeah. I'm not sure how many, but a lot of people loved it as well. So a bit like with Emily Maitlis. It's, it's like all of those genres and categories are kind of melting a bit right now, aren't they? Piers Morgan has been something of a weird revelation hasn't he some of the things he's come out with recently and philip schofield doing this rant which as i mean you could charitably say that he is satirizing the ludicrousness of the stay alert message by making it extra ridiculous you, you could say he was doing that versus emily maitlis's kind of fairly brief succinct uh, but seemingly quite angry monologue and ian hislop's comparable message on on a satirical news show there's not there's not much distinction anymore is there no no i think ian hislop well he's certainly got away he got away with more I think I didn't get the impression there was a lot of complaints about that I didn't read anything about the people complaining I saw that there was one or two headlines that were saying that he was wrong and that they were that he was jeopardising the stay-at-home message or the stay-alert message. Mm. Uh, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I felt like he was in a safer place than the others. Yeah, well, that's what people watch Have I Got News for, isn't it? Even though there was no, as you've already said, there's no features in what he said that I would say were especially satirical. He was just Jonathan Pyne, the, the events as they happened. He could do that with relative comfort within the confines of that satirical frame. Yeah. So yeah, it seems as long as your utterance is positioned as being somewhere in the very broadly defined vicinity of being near the idea of satire, you're safe and you can say whatever you like, irregardless of whether that utterance yeah. meets the formal criteria of satire or or satire as, a, as either a genre or a device. Like Boris Johnson. Like Boris Johnson. Always yeah. saying that what he said was satire when it, when it wasn't. Yeah, or Donald Trump in the American version saying it was sarcasm. Yeah, well, he's being sarcastic about the bleach, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I know we discussed that in the last episode, but the more I think about it, the more I wonder what else was he being sarcastic about? Was he being sarcastic about the wall? Was he being sarcastic about Space Force? I mean, well, how do we know when he's been, if he can deliver stuff as earnestly as he did on that day? How do we know when he's not being sarcastic? I know. Yeah. So, do you think that we could say literally anything we wanted? because we've got satire in the title of the podcast. I think we probably could. What do you think? How far do you think we could push it? What could we get away with? Well, let me, let me have a go. So I think... Yeah, I agree. Is there anything you want to say? Um...
cool. Let's hope that works. Right. So that's that's all sorted then. So we've established at the end of all of that, Dominic Cummings did break the rules and he should resign. And uh, now that we've got all of that clear, it is utterly um, uncontroversial and straightforward. Who are we, and what are we here to talk about? Well, you're Dr. Joe War, senior lecturer in 19th century literature, and you are Dr. Adam James Smith, senior lecturer in 18th century literature. And together we co-host this podcast, Smith and War Talk About Satire, which is all about the form, function, future and history of satire. And in this month's episode, we're not going to be talking to Dr. Sharon Lockyer, Director of the Centre for Comedy Studies Research at Brunel University, like we said we would, because although we have that interview recorded and it is great, we decided to save it for a little bit longer and try something a bit different from usual, didn't we? The thing we've promised you all, the interview with Sharon Lockyer, I'm afraid it's been deferred a little bit longer. We said you were going to have to wait three weeks for it, but it's been two months now and we're asking you just to wait a little bit longer. That's not like anything else, is it? Yeah, obviously, if you're one of our best friends or you have anything to blackmail us with, we will let you listen now, but we'll tell everyone that you didn't. We'll tell everyone you were in London the whole time not listening to the podcast. That's right, because that joke is just like Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings. So what have we got this month? <laughs> we are living and broadcasting in such unprecedented times. Shall we do a satire in lockdown roundup? Let's do that. Swift ate the young man from Frankfleet, Smith the wall, cannibalized, looking for something to teach. So stay safe at home, maybe put on a mask, it's Adam and Joe's Lockdown Recap. So what's, what's been happening? Not very long after we recorded the last episode, which I think came out on the 1st of May, didn't it? We had, as you've already alluded to, a new message. We did. We had a new message. And you remember what it is? Yes, I can remember what it is because I've been staying alert and I'm alert to this. So instead of staying at home to save the NHS and save lives, we are now staying alert controlling the virus and saving lives. The slightly, somewhat pedant might say, unclear instruction to stay alert, um, especially once it was clarified as you can stay alert by staying at home, that generated some satire, didn't it? It did, it did. There was hundreds and thousands, because the image, the message, the motto appears almost ready-made for a meme, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and we, we actually have been collecting and collating many of these responses on our Twitter page and releasing them. So I've just got a few here that came out immediately. <laughs> Fuck you, catch the virus, die. Be vague, cover our backs, shirk responsibility were a few of the early ones. Um, I quite like the one that was just a picture of Boris Johnson waving. It said, careful now, mind how you go. <laughs> yeah, so that, that really took off, didn't it? But especially because it's such a distinct image. Inject bleach. No, don't inject bleach. Okay, just a little. <laughs> Rich people are losing money. You are disposable. Get out there and work, you feckless scum. <laughs> so there was, there was yeah. plenty of those. And then, of course, more recently, in the last couple of weeks, there was one that I also liked. There was, get COVID-19, jump in your car with wife and child visit elderly parents yeah yeah that was a good bit of memeing yes it was a good bit of memeing wasn't it what's matt lucas viral bj tell us about that matt lucas's viral bj is uh, is a totally unrelated health risk he released a video of himself doing an impression of boris johnson like 10 minutes after boris johnson's announcement have you seen it have yeah he's just like go to work don't go to work stay indoors go outdoors like that. Yeah, that was being shared everywhere for a few for a few days. Two comics, Larry and Paul, they did a sketch, which I thought as a piece of satire was quite interesting. Did you see this one? 
every COVID-19 press briefing ever. I don't think I have seen that one. In the sketch, you've got the health minister stood at the front, the two scientists either side, and then they deliver it. And formally, they've done a really good job of aping what these things sound like, but what they're saying is what they actually mean. So you've got the health minister saying things like, expert, please, please show a graph. We'll be blaming this on you in two months' time. And so, so it's kind of the subtext. Yeah. It's, a, it's an old game, that, isn't it? So someone's, a politician says something, then you say what they really mean. But as a kind of schematic diagnostic parody of the press briefing, I thought that was a really neat video. And then another viral meme was, um, do you remember there were those protesters in London who were protesting the lockdown and saying that we should just be allowed to... I think they were copying America when they were saying they should be allowed to get a haircut and should be allowed to do what they wanted and that all of these restrictions on their lives should end. And one protester was holding up a banner that I think it was meant to say, I am a free man, I am not a number. So it was meant to be an inaccurate quote from the TV show The Prisoner, in which he says, I am not a number, I am a free man. But the way that he'd ordered it on his sign was such that any normal person who is accustomed to reading from left to right would read it as, I am a free, I am not man, a number. So it was a kind of neat, easy and very speedy way for anybody who felt inclined towards mocking this individual or casting aspersions on the intelligence of anybody who was protesting to, to be allowed to catch more viruses, it, it, it was a very quick and easy way for people to do that. And of course then people started doing memes of it as well, didn't they? And um, there was one which which took those three components, I am a free, I am not man, a number, and put them into the, the visual for stay alert, control the virus, save lives, which went which went really viral, which got more than a thousand likes by mashing up I am a free with the stay alert meme. And that was um Dr. Matt Colbeck, who we've we've had on the podcast, haven't we? We have Dr. Matt Colbeck. The if anyone wants to hear from Matt Colbeck, who's the virtuoso guitarist for the math rock guitar trio stoke-based band creep joint yeah and um, go back to our christmas special episode from this year where we, we spoke to him Matt yeah. Colbeck, formerly famous for being for being the guitarist of creep joint now famous for an extraordinarily viral meme yeah i wouldn't want to get a thousand likes on a tweet would you i wouldn't i wouldn't even want that i'm not jealous at all no it's not like we even try I mean, we no <laughs> we never we never try and put funny things on twitter no I'd, I'd hate to be popular on twitter i'm so glad that's in no danger of ever happening but yeah, well done, well done, Matt Colbeck. Is this, coming on this podcast does amazing things for people, doesn't it? It makes them more satirical. It does, and that actually links well with our next item. Does it? Does it link to that? Can you find a more sophisticated way of expressing the connection you want to articulate there? There's a resonance between that item mm. and the item next on our list, which is Scottish comedian Janie Godley, who was also a guest on our podcast. Yes, so we helped her out too, didn't we? We supported her, and we talked about it in the last episode because she was doing voiceovers of Nicholas. Sturgeon, yeah. wrote the stay-at-home message but she did another one which that, this one actually I mean they're, they're all funny but this one had me in tears we increased Boris Johnson is explaining why Dominic Cummings didn't do anything wrong yeah I've actually got it just oh let's play it let's play a little bit of it shall we but um, everybody's Everybody's to stay in. Um, Dominic didn't do any, anything bad. He's a he's a good man, and he was just getting childcare. So you all need to stop that. Dominic's one of the best men there's ever been in here. Oh, oh fuck! That was close. 
That was close, right? Dominic, open the door! I did good! <laughs> They're very good, isn't it? So what else is there? So there's um, been satire around the NHS clap, hasn't there? With the guy who does your aunt at the NHS clap and he did it about VE Day, didn't he? And did it about... I think he's gone off the boil a bit. I think there was one joke there and it's done now, in yeah, my opinion. Was, the original sketch is a good one, isn't it? So yeah. It's just the idea that people are judgmental and bigoted when they're outside clapping. Yeah, that actually the NHS clap, which is now finished, isn't it? That it became quite rapidly just a way to kind of judge whether people were clapping, how they were clapping if their clapping was inconsistent with any of their behavior over the last week yeah we we, t- we had a nice thing didn't we and we we made it horrible for ourselves and this is why we can never have anything nice in this country including a low r number or fewer than 300 daily deaths we just spoil everything for ourselves don't we we do it's, it's funny it's interrupt funny it's not funny at all it's interesting how one of the early observations about the NHS clap was that people who participated weren't sure when to stop clapping. Yeah. I didn't want the first one to clap. And then that was actually writ large for the whole nation as <laughs> as a ritual. Nobody knew how long it was going to go on for. Yeah. And I think in the end, they decided the week in which it started raining would be a good one to start. <laughs> next, next thing on the list is train guy, Matt Hancock. Did you, are you familiar with this? No, and not stop asking me if I'm familiar with things because I have to keep saying no. So, I mean, well. I don't really like see- satire. This is it's surreal. It's a piece of surreal comedy. It's Bob Mortimer does these videos where he where he's talking as a kind of the sort of executive corporate executive you might see on a train having a conversation on the phone, and mm-hmm. he's saying st- in this stupid voice, this stu- which you can sort of imagine from that stereotype. But he's always saying just in typical Bob Mortimer fashion, really surreal things. But there's a clip of Matt Hancock, and he sounds exactly like Bob, Bob Mortimer's train guy impression. Can I just play it to you? Very yeah. Quick? Sorry, sorry. Like 10 seconds. Just I tell you what, I, I don't think my viewers know. I think they're as confused as I am. Clarify it for us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we brought it in at just the right speed. And- yeah, yeah, like a haunted dish club. So, what happened there is it was it was Matt Hancock, and then they faded it into the Bob Mortimer impression. Cool. That really tickled me. <laughs> I also think. Private Eye, which I have, I have historically found quite disappointing. Mm. I pick up and it's never as funny or it's never as interesting as I want it to be. Yeah. The last couple, which I've, I've been buying for something to do, absolutely knocked it out of the park. And there's some really good lockdown satire in Private Eye. The last the issue before last was actually they renamed it for one issue, Private Eye Salation. And then last week they renamed it Private Eye Test. And was there any other jokes apart from that? Oh, yeah, some really good cartoons and some great, great wordplay. Yeah, so I'll tell you something I like, which is perhaps a more specific and less political form of satire, and that is the comedy duo The Pin, who've had a couple of series on Radio 4 of, of sketch shows, and they've been tweeting a lot more, I think, since lockdown, and they do little sketches of, a, like, a minute or so, so that it's Ben Ashenden and Alex Owen, for anyone who's interested, and they do little little sketches of about a minute and a half all about using zoom but not like you would imagine a sketch about using zoom would be so it's not like oh i can only see the top of your head oh i'm doing zoom with my nan and she doesn't know how to do it it's funny because nobody knows how to leave zoom it's not 
It's not, it's not bad Zoom satire. It's really clever and inventive. So they, they're a comedy double act who already obviously work really well together and who have taken the fact that they can now only do their comedy in Zoom and they've made that they've made that actually a really interesting and innovative format. But I won't play it because it you kind of need to be able to see it and to see that they are in Zoom. I think for it for it to work. But yeah, the pin on Twitter. If you want some satire that's not about you know Dominic Cummings or whatever, I, I would recommend. Excellent. I wasn't familiar with that, so that's that's good. Sorry, are you there? I can just see the top of your head there. Are you. Do you even know yeah, how to well, use Zoom? And then the last, the last thing on this list is um, Michael Spicer. So Michael Spicer, who we talked about in our roundup of 2019, was recommended by one of our listeners as their favourite satire. And at the time, it was a reasonably obscure piece of Twitter satire again, where he it pretends to be the man in the room next door giving advice to politicians when they give their speeches. He's blown up in lockdown, not literally, mm. but he's become really famous all over the world, and he's now doing chat show appearances in America. Right? He's gone from being, yeah, obscure niche but very entertaining Twitter comedy to a big-time celebrity. Yeah. bit like Matt Colbeck. Just like Matt Colbeck, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just like- that's Matt Hancock. <laughs> so that's a lot of Twitter satire. Mm-hmm. There's been satire on television as well, wasn't there? Yep. So. Did you watch Charlie Brooker's Antibacterial Wipe? I did, yes. Did you? Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? He was. He was noticeably less angry, more self-deprecatory than in, say, the last one that was about Brexit and Trump and so on. And it's often the case when Charlie Brooker's talking, isn't it? There's this sense of really seething anger just below the surface or out of the surface. But in this one... There was a there was a really different tone to it, wasn't there? And I think it was a number of things. So there was a regular thing he did where he'd say, I'm nearly 50, but and I still find this funny, or like mocking his puerile sense of humour and saying, I'm a grown man and I, I'm still doing this, can you believe it? There was also footage of his of his house and of... Was it where his kids were in it, actually, weren't they? Connie Hook's in it. Yeah, Connie Hook was... Yeah, um, and the kids too. So and I guess you know Charlie Brooker's like like everyone else now is having to do everything in his home and having to let people see his home. So there was that element of domesticity and and almost inevitably following on that a sense of easing up and friendliness and it's it's different, isn't it? When you when he's not sitting in a dark dystopian studio, but is mm-hmm. a person in his house, like we're all people in our houses. And yeah. So the tone of it was quite different, wasn't it? What did you think? Yeah. The function that it played for me, in addition to the satirical aspects, was that it was just quite satisfying and mm. helpful to see the events as they've happened put in order. Like, yeah, it, it was a documentary, wasn't it? It helped. It helped me to helped me to make sense of these unprecedented times. Yes, because order. you you think back now, don't you? And you think, can it really be true that in February? I was just going about normal life and I wasn't mainly thinking about this. Yeah. And then to see that put into a kind of coherent narrative and realise yeah. that, yes, you, you were, and that yeah. really did happen. Yeah. And, I mean, there's, there's a lot of shots he could have taken, but mm. he didn't. Well, he did, he, he did a bit, didn't he? Because we had Boris Johnson saying, I've been on a coronavirus ward and I've shaken hands with everyone and so on, didn't we? He did, but then, but that was that. Well, that was actually the specific bit I was thinking of. So there's quite early in the episode, there's the montage of Boris Johnson shaking hands with everyone, and but the joke is, the reality and the joke is very much, 
he's saying it's fine to be shaking hands, he's not paying attention to it. Like there's people in China dying, and he's saying, mm. oh, "I'm not going to stop shaking hands. I'll just wash my hands afterwards." And then about 15 minutes later, they get to the bit where Boris Johnson is in hospital with COVID-19, but he doesn't draw the connection. He, I think it's inferred. Yeah. But he doesn't. I inferred he his hands. Yeah, he was shaking all his hands. Now he's in hospital. Yeah. He just left that unstated although it's pretty obvious but that's interesting isn't it about just to go off topic a bit especially because i haven't watched either of these two other shows so i don't want you to go on about them for too long but the thing about boris johnson getting coronavirus is that everyone kind of knew that's how he got it there are lots of people who whilst they might not actively want to harm boris johnson he's quite low on the list of people whose physical well-being they're massively concerned about just like we're all quite low on Boris Johnson's list of people whose physical well-being he cares about. But when he was in hospital, I think everybody, no matter what they felt politically, found that quite... Is It ramped up the sense of living in a, in a new reality, didn't it, where the Prime Minister's in intensive care. But also, there was an immediate shutting down in many quarters of saying anything other than like I wish him well I hope he makes a speedy recovery so I think I think it might have been Armando Iannucci or definitely one of the satirists that I follow said the only thing you need to be saying right now is get well soon there's there's nothing else is appropriate to say and if you can't say that don't say anything I don't want to hear any unpleasantness that satirist himself was putting quite a strict embargo on any sort of political satirical or potentially tasteless comments about Boris Johnson being unwell which which I thought is interesting and it, and it, like you say so Charlie Brooker didn't draw a direct line there or didn't he certainly didn't go on and on about it but yeah. I think it's interesting that there's been a, a certain pulling away at that point yeah it happened yeah. to that actress uh, is it Miriam Margolis yeah. yeah that was it That's what she said she said I hoped Boris Johnson was going to die in hospital but I'm glad he didn't because he might actually have seen the damage he's doing or something like that. He mm. might have come out of change brand. But everyone focused on obviously the first half of that sentence and that was a big thing for an afternoon, wasn't it? That, mm. that it wasn't okay to wish that Boris Johnson would die. But obviously it isn't. I, I, don't, I don't wish he would die. I just wouldn't be that sad. <laughs> so... So what's these two shows that I haven't seen then? Tell us about them. Well, I haven't seen I haven't seen one of them either. But this is just another thing on the satire radar. So there's new, two new shows that have come out in quick succession, both in the last couple of weeks, both produced and largely written by someone called Greg Daniels, who was the showrunner of the American Office. One of them has gone on Amazon Prime, and it's called Upload. Mm-hmm. And review described it as being sharply satirical and a smart tech satire. This is the one I haven't actually seen yet. But as I understand it, the premise is that it's a Black Mirror-style universe where when you die, you can have your consciousness uploaded to a Matrix-style simulated reality. And you know how much you pay determines what the reality is like that you're in. And I gather it's a satirical comedy that has a lot of black humour. But yeah, I've not seen it. I just wanted to acknowledge that that's a big thing that's happened in satirical news. So yes, I haven't seen Upload. But if any of our listeners have and they want to say the best, it, they can let us know. It tells us if we should bother watching it using hashtag Saturday more. The other show is called Space Force. It's on Netflix. The Guardian did gave it a bad review, and they said it's because it failed as a work of satire, which is what got my attention. This show has been explicitly billed as satire from the start, and it's inspired by Donald Trump's decision to found a Space Force wing of the U.S. military and launch it with the declaration that, that America would have boots on the moon by 2024. So the Guardian's criticised it for, for showing too much reverence for the US military, saying that you can't make fun of something 
if you're valorizing it and i can actually see what they mean if there is an issue with this show which actually i re- i did quite enjoy the first episode i think it's to do with it's to do with the target of the satire so the target is definitely donald trump mm-hmm. who he's referred to exclusively as potus in the pilot episode and what the show is doing is, is exploring the impacts that his impulsive decisions have on other people who work for the government and it's particularly a lot of the episode dealt with the implications of what he's tweeting and all of these people having to try and react and respond to those tweets in a serious way. The show itself follows Steve Carell's character, who's a four-star military general, who's worked his whole life to try and have a significant commanding role in the, in the Air Force. Unfortunately, when he gets there and he gets his final medal and he gets into this position, there's a change in administration and he gets put in charge of Space Force. And then the story follows him. But he's generally a, a decent guy. He's also very polite. And basically the show sees him in impossible situations, getting taken advantage of by everyone from his colleagues to his superiors to his inferiors. Even his wife, who's played by Lisa Kudrow, is, seems to be taking advantage of him. And the combination of his polite nature, his decency, his inability to say what he's thinking, and the impossible situations that he's been in leads him to make bad decisions, which, which is where the awkward workplace comedy comes from. But I think the reason why it's not very funny is that, as a premise, that's actually tragic, just watching mm. somebody basically get tortured in their in their workplace for, for reasons beyond their control and the actual target of the satire donald trump we never see no i don't, I don't know if there'd be anything funny about watching a, a basically decent person at work get shat on and taken advantage of by their by their boss and by their underlings and so um other things there's going to be a play of i'm sorry prime minister i can't quite remember which is a sequel to yes minister that sounds good yeah it doesn't set in oxford university and it's a satire on universities, apparently. And uh, on political correctness, by the looks of it, which is always good. She's got a new space show come out, coming called Evan Avenue 5. Do you think this is going to be a thing, doing satire where it's about space? Well, that's why I, that's why I mentioned it, because it does seem like... I really, uh, really satire. fucking hope that's not true. If that happens, I'm going to be so cross. I wonder if everybody will be able to film it in their garages, won't they? Because they can just like paint them black and... Everyone can pretend to be weightless and being a, a space astronaut. Ugh, yeah. I really hope that doesn't happen. What else is coming up in the news? Alan Partridge is going to do a podcast, isn't he? Yes, he is. An 18-part <laughs> podcast recorded in Norwich, in his Norwich-based shed, called The Oust House, The Alan Partridge Podcast. Yeah. A quote there that from uh, Alan's press release. Do you want to read that? Alan Partridge said... All National Treasures have a podcast. If David Dimbleby has one, then of course I needed to make one. With this series, I want to give my fans an intimate view of who I really am. You may think you know me, but trust me, you have no idea what goes on behind closed doors at my podcast innovation studio. And that's also true of me. Yes, people people think they know me. They have no idea what goes on behind closed doors at my podcast innovation studio. And that's the end of what's been happening in satire in lockdown, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's, that's all of that. We're done. Swift ate the young man Trump drank bleach Smith the wall cannibalized Looking for something to teach So stay safe at home Maybe put on a mask It's Adam and Joe's Lockdown Recap Hey! 
If, like us listeners, you're very impressed by the sudden exponential increase in the quality of our jingles, that's all thanks to regular listener and friend of the podcast, Matthew Wilson, a musician who you can follow on Instagram at Matthew Wilson Guitar, and you can also follow his band, Pixie and the Gypsies, who've got an album coming out next month. Thank you very much, Matthew. You have massively increased the quality of our podcast, and we appreciate it very much. So what are we going to do next time, Joe? Well, people should, as I'm sure they always do, they should watch this space because we're going to do another one in a slightly shorter gap, aren't we? And it's going to be a satire in lockdown mailbag roundup. There's some really detailed and fantastically interesting emails that we've received that we want to reply to in full. And also there's lots of questions that got asked during our York Literature Festival event back in March when lockdown first started that we've not really fully responded to. So we'll be working our way through a big bag of mail. Is there any required reading that our listeners should do before then? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because we're a satirical podcast about satire and this is one where listeners have written in with all their all their little problems and their dilemmas and their questions so that makes me think of another satirical podcast does it make you think of another satirical podcast my dad wrote a porno no that's wrong i'm thinking of dear joan and jerrica because that's what they do isn't it they get letters and they read the letters and they respond to the letters and it's satirical if you feel like you might not get any jokes that we do when we're alluding to dear joan and jerrica you might want to give them a little listen definitely everyone should listen to dear joan and jerrica unless they're a child. Go and join us again in a shorter time than usual for our mailbag episode. And in the meantime, please do, once again, if you've enjoyed the episode, if you've found the episode, if you've engaged with the episode, if you've been changed by the episode, even if you're just aware of the episode, please do let us know. Well, they could like, hit us up in our socials, couldn't they? They could. So that you can hit us up on Twitter with at Satire No More. You can also now find us on Instagram at Talk About Satire on Insta. So yeah. If you like audiovisual satire, follow us on there as well. Or you could email us at our email address, which is satanomore at gmail.co.uk. Yes, and that's all the ways. Yes, that's all the ways. So without further ado, I think we'll just say stay safe, stay alert. Yes, stay alert, stay sitting up. Stay shutting up. And stay satirical. And stay eating our satire. (laughs) Yes, just stay. Bye. Bye. Bye.